the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. You are very familiar with the story that we're going to consider this morning. I don't know that you'll be familiar with the way that we're going to look at the story. I'm not going to read it now. We'll look at many of the verses as we get into the message. But Luke chapter 15, if you'll notice verse number 11, Jesus is giving us three parables in this chapter. And here in verse 11, he introduces a parable. And he said, a certain man had two sons. The parable of the prodigal son could be titled many different ways. If you were preaching from this passage, I suppose you could title the message many different titles. You could call it the criticalness of correct choices. You could title it the selfishness of a son. You could perhaps title it the bankruptcy of the backslidden. Or maybe you could call it the false advertisement of fleshly activity. Or maybe the hopelessness of the hog pen. Or the faithfulness of a father. Or the rejoicing of the repentant. I want to title it the fiasco of financial foolishness. There's a message in this parable that money matters. A man is made or marred by the management of his money. Solomon of old, who was a man who certainly handled a lot of wealth, a lot of success, a lot of material blessing. He said in Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 19, a feast is made for laughter and wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. Money answereth all things. In other words, money is the bottom line. We dress according to how we can afford to dress. We drive what we can afford to drive. We eat where we can afford to eat. Money becomes the bottom line. Money answereth all things. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Sometimes we say, follow the money trail. And that's true about your life. Because where your treasure is, That's where your heart is, Jesus said. So follow the money trail. How does a person manage their money? What does a person do with the material things that God has provided? I wonder this morning, are you a financial prodigal? If you can't manage your money, how will you manage your marriage? Because money is going to be a big part of it. In fact, the leading cause of divorce for decades, year after year after year for decades, the leading cause of divorce, finances. So if you can't manage your money, how will you manage your marriage? How will you manage a ministry? Money matters. And I want you to look at this story this morning with me from a financial perspective. There are six stewardship secrets in this story. The first 
is the expedient request of the foolish. We read it in verse number 12. The younger of them, the younger of these two sons, said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. The expedient request of the foolish. Father, give me. I want what's mine now. The expediency of having this money that was coming his way at some point in his life, he wanted it now. Are you able to discipline your desires? Can you control your covetousness? Are you willing to arrest your appetites? You see, it's not what you want that's killing you. It's when you want it. Most of you don't want bad things. You're saved. You're in Bible college. It's not that you have desires for things that would ruin your life. It's not what you want that's destroying some of you in this room. It's when you want it. You want it now. You want it immediately. What is it that you have to have now? Food? Can you discipline your appetite? Can you say no to your flesh? I'm going to tell you something. If you can't say no to food, you'll never say no to sex. Because they're both appetites. They're both passions. You better learn to discipline both. You better be able to say no to your flesh. Because the flesh will get you in the habit of always wanting what you want now. I want it now. Give me, this son says. I want it now. It wasn't time for him to receive the inheritance. His father was still alive. The inheritance would come when his father died. But he didn't want to wait that long. And some people don't want to wait for a possession. They don't want to wait for that next phone. They don't want to wait for a car. They don't want to wait for that new item of clothing. They've got to have it now. The expedient request of the foolish. In Psalm 62 and verse 5, My soul, wait thou only upon my God, for my expectation is from him. Is your expectation in life from God, or is your expectation in your own hands? Are you saying, hey, this is what I want, this is when I want it, and I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to take it when I want it. I'm going to buy it when I want it. The Bible says the Lord is good to them that wait for him. In fact, in the very next verse, in Lamentations 3, verse 26, it says it is good that a man should bear the yoke in his youth and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Are you able to quietly wait for some things? Young people, learn contentment. You have to learn it. It's not natural. 
it's not something that comes attached to your salvation. When you get saved, it doesn't mean that automatically you're now content. You have to learn contentment. Remember what Paul said? He said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. He had to learn it. It doesn't come just because you want it. It doesn't come just because you ask for it. You've got to learn to be content. Godliness with contentment, Paul said, is great gain. You want to get ahead in your life? Learn to wait. Learn to be content. Learn to put your expectations in God's hands. You don't have to have right now everything your parents have. You don't have to live in as nice a house as your parents live in now when you start out in ministry. You don't have to drive the kind of car your dad drives when you graduate from college now. He didn't. Learn to wait. Learn to anticipate. Learn to expect those things as God provides. Don't get expedient when it comes to your desires. Learn to realize God is going to bring these things into your life at the time that you need them. Don't don't look at what everybody else has, what everybody else is doing, and say, well, I've got to have that. If I'm going to be successful, I've got to have that phone. I've got to have, I've got to have that kind of a car. I've got to have those kind of clothes. I, listen, none of that makes you any more a child of God. None of that makes you any more usable to God. The material things don't make you a laborer in the harvest. I remember when we went into evangelism we talked about travel and those kinds of things. And when we started out in evangelism, it just wasn't possible financially for my wife and I to travel together. I had a 1972 Datsun that ran whenever it felt like running. My payment on that thing was $48 a month. And it wasn't worth that. <laughs> but that was my form of transportation. And uh, when I started out in evangelism, I had three meetings scheduled. One meeting was for three days, one was for two days, one was for one day. That was it. That was my future. My wife was teaching in a Christian school to put some bread on the table. I was working temporary jobs whenever I could, and and, uh, we didn't have much. And so when I started out in evangelism, there was no way we could go out and buy a trailer or buy a truck or buy some kind of vehicle to travel in. It was going to have to be solo for a while. But we had decided that if God blessed our marriage with a child at some point, that at that point we would would take a step of faith and we we would buy some kind of a vehicle that we could travel together as a family. And so we kind of put it in God's hands. And we said, Lord, when when the time comes for you to give us a child, at that point we're we're also gonna gonna put our expectation in in your lap to say, you know, we're a family and, and we need to raise our children together and, and, and we're going to need to get on the road together. And so three years into marriage, here came our first son. 1977, 40 years ago now. And about a mile from our house, there was, a, there was an Airstream trailer that sat by a guy's house. It never moved. And I would jokingly, every time we'd drive by it, I'd say to my wife, there's our trailer. And she'd laugh, say, that's an Airstream trailer. Those things are expensive. I said, yeah, I know, but 
got to have faith. When John was born, I walked up to that house and knocked on the door. And a man came to the door. He was a professor at Purdue University. And uh, he said, what can I do for you? Beautiful home. And I said, well, I, I noticed you have a trailer parked outside. And I said, I'm an evangelist. I live just down the road here on Garden Street. And I, I said, I'm an evangelist. I travel and preach in different churches. And I, I've been thinking about buying a trailer. And, and I have no idea where a dealer is. I have no idea where a person would buy a trailer. And I noticed you have one. I thought maybe you could give me some advice. He said, come on in. I walked in, met his wife. And he said, uh, this man's looking for a trailer. She laughed. He said, it's really interesting. He said, just this morning, we decided to sell ours. I said, really? He said, yeah, you want to come see it? I said, sure. I said, my wife's outside. Do you mind if she comes and sees it as well? He said, sure, come on. Well, he took us to that trailer. Now, it had not been lived in for four years. No one had even opened the door, I don't think, for four years. It had just sat there next to his house. It was a 1968 Airstream trailer. It was 28 feet long. Actually, it was 25 feet long because they counted the hitch. So it was 25 feet of living space inside that trailer. And God worked out some details. I won't bore you with all that, but we bought that trailer. And God provided a a truck for us to buy as well from evangelist Ron Comfort. And we began to pull that trailer around the country. And the first trip we took was to a camp in northern Wisconsin. When we arrived, we went in the trailer, we turned on the lights, but the lights didn't come on. We found out there was no electricity in the trailer. The electricity did not work. We got the maintenance man at the camp to check it out, and he was able to get us electricity as long as he ran this cord down the middle of our trailer. So for the rest of the time we owned that trailer, there was a cord running down the middle of the trailer. We tripped over it every morning. Within a year, nothing, absolutely nothing in that trailer worked. The electricity did not work. The plumbing did not work. The oven did not work. The refrigerator did not work. The furnace did not work. Nothing in that trailer worked. Now, it looked great. We'd pull into a church, people say, wow, what a, that's a nice trailer. Yes, yes, yes it is. <laughs> I called it the Pharisee. <laughs> Look great on the outside. Inside. And for years, we traveled in that trailer. Nobody knew that when we had to go to the restroom, we had to run in the church. Because we didn't have a restroom in the trailer. We wanted to cook a meal. We had to sneak in the church kitchen when no one was around and cook a meal, take it back out, eat at our little table. One time it was so cold, we were, in, we were in Milwaukee, Wisconsin preaching, and it was so cold, and the furnace didn't work, so I'd bought this kerosene, this kerosene heater that was helping keep us warm, and, and I woke up, and the kerosene had run out, and I thought, i got to turn this furnace on. The furnace was cracked. It was a propane furnace, and it was cracked, and if, if, a, if a furnace cracks that has propane, the propane seeps out, and it can kill you. But I thought, it doesn't matter. I'm going to either freeze to death or I'm going to be, you know, uh, intoxicated to death. So I, I turned the furnace on. And about an hour later, I woke up. I had no idea where I was. I was like on, on drugs or something. I, I couldn't see anything. And I, I opened the door because I knew what had happened. I opened the door and I jumped into a snowbank and managed to revive myself. But we lived in that trailer for years. <laughs> but you know what? It didn't affect my preaching at all. 
It didn't make me a better or worse soul winner at all. It had absolutely nothing to do with the call of God on my life. Be careful, young people. You tend to think that, well, look at that suit or look at that purse or look at that cell phone or look at what he's got, look what she drives. And you're saying, that's what makes somebody successful. That's what makes somebody important. That's what God uses. No, he doesn't. You're called of God to serve him. Don't worry about the material things. Put your expectations in his hand. The expediency of this young man, I want it now. But notice, secondly, the exhausted resources of the frivolous. In verse 13, he gets his money. He divided the living in verse 12. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. Young people, let me me make, make a statement here. Write it down. When we run out of money, it's not because of God's lack of supply. It's because of our lack of stewardship. Now, I've run out of money in my life. But when we run out of money, it's not a matter of a lack of supply by God. It's a lack of stewardship by us. The prodigal inherited enough money to last him a lifetime. He inherited a large sum of money. Some Bible scholars believe that today it would be equivalent to about $3 million. There was enough here that he got that day to last him the rest of his life. Can I tell you something, young people? God has promised to put all that you need in your hand. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's God's promise to you in Philippians 4.19. So if God takes you to the mission field, if God puts you in a pastorate, if God makes you a youth pastor, if God puts you in a Christian school to teach there, listen, God says, I'm going to put everything you need materially in your hand. So when we run out of money, it's not a lack of supply because God said, I'll supply. When we run out of money, it's a lack of stewardship. When I run out of money, i got to say, where's the money? Because God promised to supply my needs. So if my needs aren't being supplied, what happened to the money? Jesus said, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink or wherewithal shall you be clothed. Your Father knoweth the need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. God promises your needs are going to be met. But understand something. God doesn't give us time to spend. He doesn't give us money to spend. He doesn't give us talents to spend. He gives us money. He gives us time. He gives us talents to steward. 
Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. If I take $1,200 this month and I spend it on something I want and I don't make my house payment, I'm not a steward. I'm a thief. God will supply my house payment this month. He promises. He promises me a place to live. But if I take what he provides for me and I use it for something other than what I'm supposed to, I'm not being the right steward. God didn't give it for me to spend. He gave it to me to steward. And by the way, when we spend it rather than steward it, God's not going to bail us out. When he had spent all, he began to be in want. And some of you this morning are in want because you've spent instead of steward. The substance of a diligent man is precious. When God puts things in your hand materially, they ought to be precious to you. Why? Not because of what they can buy, what they can do, but because it's a gift from God that he's trusting you with to steward. And you want to treat those things that God brings your way materially as a precious thing, something to steward for God's glory. He also that is slothful in his work is a brother to him that is a great waster. You know, some of us get kind of upset with people that are lazy, especially if they happen to live in our room. You know, they don't do their dorm duties and they don't ever make their bed and you always got to try to cover for them so you don't get demerits and you know, they're just lazy. They don't, they don't study for their tests and, you know, it drives you crazy. They don't pick up after themselves. They're just lazy. But you know what? God says in that verse in Proverbs 18 and verse 9 that lazy sluggards and loose spenders are brothers. Lazy sluggards and loose spenders are brothers. He also that is slothful in his work is a brother to him that's a great waster. And while we despise people who are lazy and that never work and never do anything and maybe have a silver spoon in their mouth and they get what they want and they don't have to do anything for it, we kind of despise that. God says, when we don't steward what I put in your hand, you're a brother to that thing. Notice thirdly, the experienced regret of the fleshly. In verse 15, he, this prodigal now in want, went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came unto himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I'll arise and go to my father, and I'll say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Oh, the experienced regret of the fleshly. 
Have you ever maybe wasted time and regretted it? We'd all have to say that. Man, I should have I should have done that last week. Now I don't have time to do it. You ever spent money on something and after you got it you thought, why did I why did I buy that? It wasn't worth it. And here this prodigal, oh, he couldn't wait to get this, this money that was his. He couldn't wait to go and spend it on riotous living. He couldn't wait to go out and have a good time. But now the regret of the fleshly. You see, no man can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll despise the one and, and, and love the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You're going to have to live for God or live for greed. You can't do both. There is that make themselves rich, yet hath nothing. There is that make themselves poor, yet hath great riches. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth oil and wine shall not be rich. Proverbs 23, 21, the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty. What are you drunk on? What are you drunk on? Fast food? Some of you are drunk on fast food. You're addicted to it. You you, you couldn't eat in the cafeteria today if you wanted to. You just have no taste for it. You're drunk on fast food. You're drunk on the newest technology. You're drunk on clothes. Solomon was drunk on the material. Oh, I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards and had trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I got me men singers and women singers and and servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. I had great possessions of small and great cattle above all that were before me in Jerusalem. So I was rich and increased more than any that were before me in Jerusalem. Whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not from my heart any joy. Drunk. Drunk on the material. But then I looked. And all that my hands had wrought. And all that I'd labored to do. And behold, all was vanity. And vexation of spirit. There's no profit under the sun. Drunk on the material. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully and he thought within himself, what shall I do? I have no room to bestow all my fruits and my goods. He said, this will I do. I'll pull down my barns. I'll build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods later for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Drunk. But God said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? I've often said in preaching the gospel, how much water will a million dollars buy you in hell? And the answer is not a drop. The rich man in Luke 16 was begging for but a drop of water and couldn't get it. 
A million dollars won't buy you a drop of water in hell. But how many crowns is a million dollars going to buy you in heaven? The answer is the same. None. While the material things glitter and they glisten and they, they, they call our attention and, oh, we'd like to have that and I'd like to experience this and I want to do that and it calls to us. But when we stand before him, that stuff will mean nothing. We see, fourthly, the envious ruin of the firstborn. Verse 25, now, His elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, would not go in. Therefore his father came out and entreated him, and he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I may be merry with my friends. You know, some in this room are ruined by what you don't have. All you think about is what other people have that you don't. You're not the prodigal financial son. You're the elder son that wishes you had. A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy is the rottenness of the bones. You see, some people rot in extravagance while other people rot in envy. Every earthly possession depreciates in value, but every eternal possession doubles in value. That's why Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. As Bible college students, we don't have a lot materially. We might say, this message isn't for me. I don't have anything to spend. I don't have anything to steward. I'm just rubbing two nickels together, barely making it. But envy's killing you. Because you look at maybe a roommate or you look at somebody else that has a car, maybe somebody else that has a little nicer suit or has a little nicer purse or maybe has the last uh, cell phone or whatever, and you're thinking, man, I wish I could be there. Notice number five, the eternal riches of the father. I love verse 31. As the father comes to this elder son, he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. Do you know that's exactly what our heavenly father is saying to us today? All that I have is thine. Do you understand this morning, students? We're a child of the king. My father's rich. In houses and lands, he holdeth the wealth of the world in his hands. Of rubies and diamonds, of silver and gold, his coffers are full. He hath riches untold. I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the king. With Jesus, my savior, I'm a child of the king. Listen, everything that the father has is yours. 
We, we want this. We want that. We want this earthly toy. We want this material thing. We wish we had what he has or she has. Listen, God says, all that I have is thine. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Years ago, there was a large plantation owner in the South. He was very wealthy. He owned thousands of acres and had beautiful barns and, and all kinds of livestock. And of course, back in those days, they had slaves that, that cared for the animals and cared for the fields. And this plantation owner, he was like everybody else in those days. He had a number of slaves. And one of his best slaves was an older black man by the name of Mose. Mose was a Christian. Mose loved the Lord. He loved to be out in the fields just singing those old Negro spirituals to his God. He walked with the Lord. Mose had a burden for the plantation owner. He wanted to see him saved. And because Moses was such a loyal slave and such a good worker, the plantation owner loved him. And one night he invited Moses to come on in for a meal at the main table, to sit with he and his family. Moses accepted the invitation, but he sat at the table very troubled. In fact, he had a hard time eating. As the food was passed, he passed most of it by just kind of nibbled here and there. The plantation owner, he noticed that Mose just wasn't himself. He said, Mose, what's troubling you? What's wrong? Man, I want you to enjoy a good meal. I, I want you to sit at my table. I want you to enjoy the comforts of my home. Uh, tonight, you don't have to go out to the slave quarters. You can, you can be with us. And What's wrong? Mose, he said, Master, he said, I'm troubled because last night I had a dream. And in the dream, the richest man in the valley died. And he said, well, Master, everybody knows who the richest man in the valley is. And you don't know my Jesus. You need Jesus. The Master, he didn't want to hear this. He abruptly stood up and he says, Moses, I'll, I'll not have you talk like that. You, you've mentioned these things before and I, I don't want to hear about this. Moses said, but master, you need, you need Jesus. The master said, Moses, you may leave now. I don't want to hear this. Moses humbly waited, made his way to the door and exited back to the slave quarters. Needless to say, however, as the master went to bed that night, he, he kept thinking about what his slave had said. This dream about the richest man in the valley dying. He was troubled by that. He was indeed the richest man. And he thought, could this be true? Could it be possible that my life could be coming to an end? And he tossed and turned on his bed. He, he called for some music. He called for some people to, to talk to him. He, he, he wanted to pass the time as quickly as possible. And pretty soon the clock, it, it struck 12. And he thought, well, 
It must have just been a foolish dream of my slave. I've lived through another day. I'm fine. He laid back on his pillow and went to sleep. Early the next morning, he was aroused by one of his slaves, a little black lady. She said, Master, Master, you must come. You must come. The master, waking from his sleep, he said, What's wrong? What's going on? She said, Mose, Mose died last night. He was the richest man in the valley. Can I tell you something, young people? You're the richest person in the world if you know Christ. The Father says, All that I have is thine. Stop going after these things that the world offers you. Stop spending your time, your effort, your money on things that are only temporal. All that the Father has is yours. We see finally the endless rejoicing of the faithful. You know the story. I've skipped some verses. This this prodigal makes his way home and he arrives and the father throws a party and he he invites everybody to come. And of course the elder son refuses that we saw a minute ago. But look at verse 32. It was meet, he said, that we should be merry and glad for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. You know who he's making that pronouncement to? Stop and think, who's, who's in the story? Well, you got the father, you got the prodigal, you got the elder son, and you got the servants. That's it. Now, we know at this party, the father's there. The prodigal's there. The elder son's not there. He's in his room pouting. The servants are there. And he's saying to these servants... Rejoice. Rejoice. This, my son, was dead. He's alive again. He was lost, but he's found. He's calling on the servants to rejoice. Those servants didn't have much. They had no inheritance from this guy. They were merely hired servants, but they had been faithful to do as the Lord had commanded them. When he said, go and kill the fatted calf, they did it. When he said, go and get the robe, bring the ring, put shoes on his feet, they did it. They were obedient to the master, and thus they could rejoice. Quit worrying about your finances and start working on your faithfulness. Stop spending and start stewarding. At the end of life, riches are way overrated, but rejoicing isn't. When you get to the end of your life, riches aren't going to matter anything. They don't hook U-Hauls to hearses. You're not taking it with you. But the fact that you can rejoice for all of eternity because you've been faithful will be something that lasts forever. A satisfied servant is happier than a prodigal in pleasure or an elder in envy.